Welcome to the Freelance Indexer Exchange. I'm Michelle Giuliano, and I'd like to start a conversation with you about indexing. I sometimes find the business of freelancing lonely and isolating. How about you? Do you ever wonder whether it has to be this way? So let's talk about the hard stuff, because we can do better together. Hello, and welcome to the last episode of Season 1, where I answer more of your questions. I thought this would be out a little earlier than it was, but I have a new addition to my family, a puppy. Puppies are big balls of love, but they're also full of energy. It takes a lot of effort in the first few weeks to redirect their attention and shape their world to ensure that they become great canine citizens. So my new puppy, Jamie Tard, has been keeping me quite busy, but he's an adorable and absolute delight. Very handsome and sure of himself, but he has a soft underbelly. Take a peek at my Instagram page if you want to see a photo of my boy. As I mentioned before, I truly will be alone this fall with both my kids off at college. But now I have an office mate. He might not be able to tell me how to invert a compound name, but he will remind me to get up regularly and move. So without further delay, let's dive into these questions asked by indexers. Question one was, what do you think of Square as a credit card option? After I read this question from a podcast listener, I dug into this a bit. I had only thought about Square as a point of sales option, and it turns out that they do have an option for freelancers. So here's the scoop on Square. Most of us are familiar with Square through retail businesses, both online and brick and mortar, but that option won't work for us since indexers offer professional services and not products, and we don't directly take a physical credit card when we charge for our invoices. But Square sort of offers a credit card payment for a credit card payment service for freelancers, but it's more like an invoicing option. They have a free version and a business plus version, which costs $20 per month. So the free version might work for you, um, something that you can try, but I want to warn you, it's really not free. The client has a lot of options to pay, like they can use a bank transfer, cash app pay, and buy credit card but you're going to be charged a fee for every single transaction, regardless of the mode of payment. Even the Cash Option app, um, you're gonna be charged 2.9% plus 30 cents per transaction. The same as other credit card companies that I discussed in my podcast episode. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And the credit card debit card is even more at 3.3% plus 30 cents per transaction. If someone makes a bank transfer, that is going to be your cheapest option and you would be charged for the bank transfer at 1% with a minimum of a $1 per transaction. So let's do the math. On a $2,000 invoice, that would be $21 for the bank transfer, $58.30 for the cash app option, and $66.30 for credit or debit card payment. The closest Square offers to a check payment would be the bank transfer or the cash pay app. Invoicing through Square is free, but not the payment, regardless of the method. So that's something you need to be aware of. I think there are other options that offer more for less, like using Stripe, but you would have to create the invoices yourself or you would need an invoicing app or software. To answer the listener's question then, to me, Square isn't a great option for an indexer. I personally use an invoicing software program that I like, which costs about $10 per month. While Square's invoicing software is free, which is great, I'll give you that, I'll be paying more for it with the free Square charges on every payment I receive from a client. And those fees add up. 
a lot more quickly than the $10 a month I pay to Paymo, my invoicing software app. Also, I use Stripe with Paymo. Stripe only charges me when I accept a credit card payment, and their fees are a lot lower than Square's credit card fees. Granted, Square's invoicing app might be slicker than Paymo's. I have no idea whether it is or not because I haven't investigated beyond the planned pricing and the payment method fees. But for $10 a month, Paymo offers the same features as the Square business plan at $20 a month, such as converting estimates to invoices and customizable fields on the invoice. That's enough for me. I like that. And I know I've mentioned before that Paymo has the internal... Um, the internal notes that you can put on every invoice that the customer is never going to see. And I really like that because I can see those notes on my invoice when I'm looking at it through the app. And I also can see it when I download it as an Excel, as an Excel sheet. So I'm going to put a link in the show notes today for Square's invoice page, which includes the plan pricing and the processing rate, so you can decide for yourself. I'll also put a link in for Paymo and Stripe, um, which are two services that I use. As always, my links are not affiliate links, so I don't make any money when you click on them. So feel free to explore everything and figure out for yourself what works for you. Thanks again for that great question. And so now I'm going to just jump right into question two. This is a question from someone in India who was looking for suggestions on how to break into indexing in the U.S. First of all, this is a great question. Thank you for asking. I will say right up front that I don't think I'm the right person to answer this question because I don't know the ins and outs of indexing in India. But I have worked with people outside of the U.S., and my aim is to make it easy for them to work with me as with someone in their own country, so I can't see why this approach wouldn't work for this listener as well. The first thing I do, I did when I decided that I would work for people outside the U.S. and make it easy for them if they approach me or if I hear of a job opportunity, I wanted to know what the roadblocks were so I could make it as easy as possible. And so the things that I thought about were style expectations, ease of payment, and time zone issues. I make sure my communication and estimate addresses each one of these things. So let's start with payments. How easy is it going to be for clients to pay you in their own currency? I think that's the most important thing to think about. Do your invoices make it easy for them to pay you directly and no more difficult than writing and mailing a check or paying other indexers in their own country? I had a British client a couple of months ago and I gave them a quote in pounds. Since my aim is to make the decision to work with me very easy, why should I ask the client to figure out the conversion rate and how much they're going to end up paying me in pounds when I give them a US dollar amount? As I explained this to my potential client in my estimate, that they have the option of paying by WISE, which is simpler than a bank transfer and much cheaper for me, or by credit card. With my WISE account, that's um, an international, it's, kind of, it's not really a bank account, it's more of a transfer account where I can put money in and then send it out in a different currency. And believe me, the rates are so much cheaper than getting a bank transfer. So I can add a link to my invoices with a WISE um, money request, and it's so simple. That link just gets copied and pasted right in. It's easy for them and easy for me. If they were an individual author, I would also offer PayPal as an option, but this was a big company, and that, I'm sure, was not going to be something that they wanted to do. So the PayPal option would work, and a lot of people do that for U.S. clients or Venmo. I don't know if either of those are offered in India, but that is something to consider. Wise, again, is so easy to use, and they don't need a Wise account to use it. 
So as for time zone issues, when we discuss deadlines, I always like to state the deadline that I'm or the time that I'm going to hand in the index in the client's time zone, or if it's a US client in Eastern Standard Time. Again, you don't have to you don't want them to do a conversion in their own head. Of course, if they make a mis- mistake the time for their own time zone, with you being in India, your index will actually be quite early if you submit the index on time for yourself. So it's really not a big issue for you as it would be for me when I'm going across the pond and 9 a.m. their time is much earlier than 9 a.m. my time. For that British client, I set a time of 9 a.m. Monday morning and I was like, oh, wait a minute, I should have never done that. I should have either done a Friday or a Tuesday, especially if I this particular job was a rush job. So I actually needed every single minute that I had. So that meant I had to work on the weekend. But as I've talked about in previous episodes, was I a good boss to myself? Yes, because I did a rush fee for that particular job. So it actually worked out really well for me. Again, time zone, make it easy for your client. So let's go to style expectations. Is there a specific style that publishers of the country that I want to work with, or in this case, the listener wants to work with U.S. clients, what do they hold as the gold standard? Here in the U.S., indexers typically use Chicago Manual Style as the go-to resource on style issues unless they're publishing in a specific niche. For example, you have specific style guides like the APA guide. And so in your communication with them, if you bring up the style expectations first, you'll probably put the potential client at ease. And if you know the kind of work that they want, to do, you'll know what style manual you should be using for that. So before I get back to the original question about marketing to potential clients in the US, I want to tell a personal story. It was about my experience of dealing with a company in another country um, as a consumer. So this would be like how your client would be viewing you. My daughter studied Japanese in high school as their chosen foreign language, and she really embraced the Japanese culture. So a couple years ago, I wanted to buy her a bento box for Christmas, and I didn't want to buy just anything off of Amazon. I wanted to find a selection of well-made bento boxes so I have a good choice to make, and I wanted them to be made in Japan. In my internet search, I found a wonderful website called Bento & Co. So Bento & Co. had a wonderful selection, and they explained each product in detail, complete with reviews. I really liked the way the website was set up, and I liked how they carefully noted that each how we, where each product was made. I got the feeling that they were curating products that they liked to use themselves. Also, the site was also super easy to navigate. I made my selection and placed my order, and I was really surprised to find out when I looked at, on their About page that the company was based in Japan. That blew me away. Nothing on the site made it feel like that they were based in anywhere but the U.S. I am sure they carefully chose a design and copy that would appeal to English-speaking customers in the U.S. And of course, they were very transparent that they were based in Japan on their about page, so I didn't feel like they were pulling the wool over my eyes. So they made me feel comfortable, but they were also transparent about who they were and where they were. They had a really good story about why they were presenting things the way they did. And I liked that. I trusted them. And I think that's going to be the biggest thing that you're going to have to establish with U.S. clients is that they can trust you. So let's get back to this whole site. Here was um, something else that I really liked. I ordered more than once from them. And each time the items arrived faster than they would have from Amazon. Isn't that amazing? They are a small company, so they ship things out right away. They use a great shipper, and things come here so quickly 
so much faster than Amazon. And communicating with them, it was really easy too. They're quick to reply and very accommodating. Once I had to ask them about whether a delivery would arrive in time for my daughter's birthday, and they were quick to assure me that they were on top of the shipping and that it would. And it did. Again, that trust factor. I don't hesitate to order from them at any time. And I don't hesitate to reach out to them because they get back to me quickly. They're just a really great company to work with. So let's get back to like overall, they made me feel confident to order from them and their customer service and products made me return again and again. And this is the kind of feeling that you want to give people when they go to your website you know, make them comfortable, make them feel like it's not a website that they would find from someone who is not in the US, but be very transparent about who you are and where you are. Maybe you can take a similar approach to that. If your website and your marketing is done in such a way as to appeal to clients in the US, like Benco and Co did, then US clients will explore your site. Your about page should be as transparent as Bento and Co, which I mentioned before. And if you're unsure how to do this, maybe you should peruse other indexers' websites in the US and determine what things are similar or might appeal to potential clients. And if you have trouble figuring out the design elements or need help with copy, definitely consider hiring a copywriter for your site or a web developer in the US, or definitely someone in India who specializes in this type of work. I know that's an investment, but you might find it worthwhile if you get the clientele that you're looking for. And let me also suggest that you should address the potential pain points I highlighted above, like payment issues, style issues, and time zone issues on your website in the appropriate places so that they don't even, that you're explaining yourself before they even have to chance, before they even have a chance to wonder about how these things will work. And there are really easy ways to do that and lay everything out so that they feel comfortable, again, that they feel the trust and they feel comfortable with your site. One way to do this might be to have a frequently asked questions page that addresses how easy it would be to work with you and how it won't be any more work than hiring an indexer in the US. If none of this appeals to you, you could always consider working as a subcontractor for a US-based indexer. How about finding an indexer who has an agency-type indexing business? Working for them gives you access to U.S. books and the potential to learn the nuances of U.S. publishers. This might be a really great place to start. And again, in approaching them, you should highlight how you will make the payment process easy and seamless for the agency, and that you will work within the style requirements that they put forth. And again, here's the nice part, and that would appeal to the agency owner. If you adhere to the deadline in your time zone, the index will actually be early to them every single time. I hope that I've given you some good food for thought, good luck, and let me know how things work out for you. I'd love to hear from you again. So let's go on to question number three. I had someone write to me asking how they can have their name listed on the copyright page of the book that they're indexing. Should they put it in the contract? I loved this question. Just like the bottom of an email is a great place to advertise what you do, the copyright page is an excellent place to say, hey, I created the index in this book. A lot of publishers do not acknowledge the indexer on this page, but I wish they would. But in my opinion, this isn't something I'd put in the contract because it might hold up the contract, especially in a big, at a bigger publisher. Instead, my suggestion is to ask about this after you get the job. In your reply email to the author or editor that hired you, why not ask about this? You could write something like, I'm looking forward to working with you on this project. I would also like to be included on the copyright page of your book as the creator of the index. It is a simple thing to do. Below the credit for the editor and designer, you can include my name and company name. 
I've attached an image of what this looks like in another book that I indexed. If you're not the right person to ask, can you pass along my email to that person? I'd, re I'd appreciate it. By asking in this manner at the beginning of the project, not at the end because that might be too late, you're getting the ball rolling. And this may or may not work, but at least you, have, you are not jeopardizing getting the job if this isn't a possibility. And that might happen if you include it in the contract. I learned in parenting that there are battles that I, would engage, that I shouldn't engage in if I want to win the war. And I look at this battle as one of those things to pass on if there's even a little bit of resistance. But I will say that the more indexers that request this and get this added to the copyright page, and the more commonplace that it becomes, the more likely this will become an automatic feature on the copyright page. I know I'm not going to wait for this to be offered to me in the future. I'm going to ask for it myself. So thank you for bringing this up. I hope other indexers will as well. So there you go, a call to action for all you listeners. Let's start asking for our names to appear on the copyright page. The worst thing that's going to happen is that we're told that it's not the standard practice of the publishing company. If that happens, I double dare you to ask, why not? And now I'm gonna to come to the final question of this particular episode. And boy, this is coming close to the end of season one. Wow. The question that was asked to me was, why did you start this podcast? And not just one indexer asked me this question, but two. So I definitely want to include it. Working as a freelance indexer can be lonely. And while business books on freelancing can be useful and helpful, they're rather static. You don't have a conversation with a book. I had the wonderful opportunity to work with a mentor early in my indexing career, and it was hugely beneficial not only for developing my indexing skills, but also for growing my business. I received solid business advice. I also work with a colleague closely. Um, she is the index editor for my indexes. She's an indexer herself. So it's like having um, a colleague, someone like in the next virtual office over from me, maybe across the hall. And it's wonderful to be able to have conversations back and forth. But not everyone has opportunities like this. And I see this podcast as a way to reach out to my peers, because I view all of you as my peers, to say, hey, you're not alone. Reach out if you have a question. Let me know if you have a comment. That's what the exchange box is for, a way to carry on a conversation. Conferences are great places to connect if you can make it to one, but we still remain separated by distances and long stretches of time between conferences. So this is a more immediate way to connect. This podcast is my way of saying to all of you, welcome to my little corner of the indexing world. Come on in. I'm sure we have lots to talk about. I was greeted warmly and effusively when I entered the indexing community, and I want others to feel the same way. I'd like to see us all succeed. I look at all indexers as peers, like I said before. You are not my competitors. And together we can improve the lives of all freelance indexers by sharing our ideas and strategies. Other people have paved the way for me and showed me how they work and do business. Think about it. We now use great indexing software developed by indexers and who then shared it with us. They didn't have to do that. Honestly, they don't make a lot of money on the software. They could have kept it to themselves. Thank you to the developers of Macrex, Sky, Syndex, and Index Manager for making our work lives easier. We also have add-on software and macros that made our work more efficient because other indexers and people tied to the indexing world share their knowledge and expertise. 
So why did I create this podcast? Because I want to build on the momentum and evolution of peer support that has been coursing through in the indexing field over the years. This podcast is just one part of the platform that I'm building for indexers. Together, we are stronger, better, and we will raise the standard in our field. Thank you so much for joining me this season and for sending in your questions. And now it's time for the final See Also segment of the season, when I talk about something related to the episode, but not directly. In this See Also segment, at the end of the last episode of season one, this is going to be a little different because I'm not going to answer an additional question or add content to this episode in the segment. Instead, I'm providing you with cross-reference to bonus content. How's that? Return to the Freelance Indexer Exchange later in July to listen to some bonus content. Want to know a little bit more? Well, I have the honor and privilege of sitting down with my mentor and friend, Enid Zafron, earlier this month. I recorded our conversations, and I'm looking forward to sharing it with you later in July. Subscribe to the Freelance Indexer Exchange on your favorite podcast app if you want this content automatically downloaded for you. Or drop me a line in the, index, in the exchange box if you want an email announcement of when this content is available. Honestly, you don't want to miss it. These are some great conversations. And I'm just going to add one more thing. The um, survey for the rate survey for indexers, the link is now up in the show notes so that you're going to be able to click to that and link to the survey and the frequently asked question page of the survey. So I hope all of you will fill it out because the more information we get from fellow indexers, the more robust the data is. And I found it very informative when I ran this in 2021. If you want those results, send me your email in the exchange box and I'll be happy to send that to you as well. I hope you found this episode to be helpful. I hope you found this podcast to be helpful this season. I am happy to answer any of your questions, so feel free to drop me a suggestion or comment on the in, in the exchange box. The link is in the show notes, and I'll talk to you guys again soon. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Freelance Indexer Exchange. Until next Monday, be well and do well, and happy indexing. Well, that was funny. I just listened to my outro and I heard myself say, and see you next Monday. Well, since the end of season one, I won't see you next Monday, but I will be talking with you soon with those interviews with Enid.